We are the end of a millennium. We are a decade of decadence. We are the 90s. to we the 90s my name is thomas and i am one of your three hosts alongside dear old friend david the man who has mastered the art of stunts and jolene the two times the size of a one-fourth size regular woman wow initial thoughts give me give me feedback this is the wrong podcast welcome back to we the 90s podcast um the 90s themed report style podcast where each week one of our three hosts uh goes around and gives a report on something from the 90s that really made our childhood or if you weren't a child in the 90s then made an impact on your life and this week uh, i get to do the report just like the watch and butch coolidge's dad's ass as he was held as a prisoner of war we are going to get deep into 1994's hit film, Pulp Fiction. The path of the righteous man is beset on all sides by the inequities of the selfish and the tyranny of evil men. Blessed is he who, in the name of charity and goodwill, lead the weak through the valley of darkness, for he is truly his brother's keeper and the finder of lost children. And I will strike down upon thee with great vengeance and furious anger those who attempt to poison and destroy my brothers. And you will know that my name is the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon thee. That's Samuel Jackson in guys. Star Wars. <laughs> That's not- I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try it again. The pew pew is Star Wars. It's got to yeah. be. <laughs> uh, I'm going to try that again uh, at the end. But I, I got to do one that I'm not yelling into the microphone yeah, with. Seriously. Uh, yeah, three days. That's actually impressive. You three days. that whole thing. I uh, will only memorize it from like Samuel Jackson's and fun fact. Yelling quick fun fact give it quick fun yep. fact that's not even from the Bible part of he, it well, okay, is yeah. from the Bible the very small part mm-hmm. like the Ezekiel part <laughs> and <laughs> yeah and I think like the first line and the rest he yeah. made up Samuel Jackson and T- Quentin Tarantino together mm-hmm. worked on that Little known fact. Well done, Joe. Way to do your research. This is my fucking topic, right? Stop trying to steal my goddamn shiner. I will lay my vengeance upon you. (laughs) But if you're your brother's keeper, then... Mm -hmm. And the finder of lost children. Are you Peter Pan? You are the reason we get off topic. (laughs) Could be. Uh, Another reason. So I talked to my dad, and he had said, I need to do a good job on this, because he knows the topic, and that... uh, I need to try and remember the that verse right there because everybody messes up when they try and remember it. And uh, I really tried to learn it just to prove him wrong. Yeah. Same <laughs> reason why I worked in construction labor for a failure. Eight months. I was going to say, it's like at some point you need to nope. stop trying that. Nope. Okay. More uh, on therapy hour. More on therapy hour. All right. This is what the 90s really Let's did. Let's get into the topic of pulp fiction. That's 90s related. Yeah. Every episode, we got to mention how we hate our parents. Come on. Yes. 
Uh, all right, so... Uh, I didn't hate my parents. I just felt like they were dead. Well, damn. <laughs> so, uh, in terms of sort of 90s retrospect, right, this may be the movie that many people who say Quentin Tarantino is their favorite director can attribute it to, yeah. right? If you grew up with loving Quentin Tarantino and his movies. Because the first one, this is actually his second directorial project. Can't say debut again. But his second directorial project, the first one being Reservoir Dogs, mm-hmm. which we'll talk like a little bit about right here. But um, Reservoir Dogs was the first one. And even though it was such a, a widely like critically um, acclaimed hit, it only made it only sold like 2.8 million in theaters, which it was made off a very small budget. So that was really good for it. But still, not too many people got to see Reservoir Dogs unless you were in like the film circuit. Yeah. So this is the one that like blew up. We'll talk about the numbers a little bit later, but this one really blew up. And this is probably what many people can say. I'm sure Rudy being one of them um, can say that like this is where people really jumped on the Quentin Tarantino wagon. Let's see. So I want to start off with my first question. I have three questions that I made sure to put in here because as I started writing this, I realized I'm just going to be talking the entire time because I got so excited with it. So I got three questions that I'm going to ask. Here's the first of my trilogy of questions. What is your favorite Tarantino film of all time? Just director. Just the ones he directed. Oh, crap. Which is 10 movies. Okay. You might have to tell me which ones they are, but... So there is Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, Jackie Brown... Uh, Kill Bill 1 and 2, mm-hmm. Inglorious Bastards, Django Unchained, oh, damn, The Hateful Eight, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and then he did that Grindhouse thing where him and Robert Rodriguez each directed one movie. His yeah. was the one with the car. They're just, they're all so good. I love In the Inglorious Bastards. Inglorious Bastards, Bastards yeah. for me. I'm killing Nazis. I'm killing that. Right. Is, <laughs> is it because of Brad Pitt? I don't know. Brad Pitt. I, I like. Brad Pitt. I really fell in love with uh, the Jew Bear. Oblige him. <laughs> Nobody Oblige. knows what. The... <laughs> yeah, I would say Pulp Fiction, especially after rewatching it for my research. Is this? So before we even get into it, did you see this in '94? Oh fuck no. <laughs> okay, I was gonna say like I know I didn't. I no mean way. I know it. I knew it existed, but like yeah. I was scared away at that one scene. Which one? The rape scene. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I was just like, I remember watching it young and then like, you don't really understand what you're watching. Like this whole movie, I'm just, this is so random. And then you're just kind of waiting for it to all come together. And then I saw that one scene. I was like, no, no. no." (laughs) I went back and watched it later, like as a young adult and understood cinema at this point. And I was like, okay, this is, this is fucking great. But yeah, I don't even think I saw it. I think the first Quentin Tarantino movies I actually saw were Kill Bill. Volumes one and two. Okay. And then I, I may have saw, when did Inglorious Bastards come out? I don't remember that one. That was um, like. It was in 2009. Oh, so no, I definitely saw Pulp Fiction before. Yeah, I saw Inglorious yeah. Bastards, but I think, yeah, it was Kill Bill one and two. And then. Do we have story time later? Because I could tell you when you probably watched it. Yikes. Yeah, we, we can have fondest memories. Okay. <laughs> Joe, what is your favorite Quentin Tarantino movie? Um, If we're going by whatever you said, directing, writing, then I would say. Just old, directing. It's not even old school, though. I would have said Kill Bill only because those are the first ones I remember, too. Mm-hmm. Other than, which doesn't count, apparently, is from Dust Till Dawn. Uh, all right, so Kill Bill for you. Yeah, Kill Bill, definitely, because I remember watching them, and I remember them being hilarious to me, which is probably my yeah. dark, twisted side, yeah. but huh? blood shooting and 
crazy women with <clears throat> swords and stuff. I just, those were like the best. Yeah. But then afterwards, honestly, when Django came out, that was fucking great. And that's probably Django's my favorite good. movie now. I've tried to make Lizzie watch Django Unchained like five times. And she always falls asleep <laughs> or just loses interest within the really? first like 30 minutes. I think that's one of my favorites. Was that the first time we saw Leo as like a, a bad guy? You he would was... know. Yeah, you would know. You're the big Leo fan. <laughs> well, I would. Yeah. All right, well, let's talk a little bit more about uh, some pulp fiction. In 1992 and 1993, Quentin Tarantino saw some great success. So in 1992 was when Reservoir Dogs was released in theaters to great critical success among, like I said, the film circuit. So it was first released in film circuit, same thing as Pulp Fiction, um, and then had a general audience release. uh, But again, made for, I think it said $1.5 million was Reservoir Dogs. And it made $2.8 million in theaters when it did that release. So made above a million back and was a, a wildly successful film critic-wise. At Sundance 1992, it became the festival's most talked about movie. And it picked up a film distributor to distribute the movie when Reservoir Dogs came out, which it's was Miramax Films. Yeah. Um, and after showings at a few of the other theaters, again, like I said, $2.8 million box office on a $1.5 million budget. The following year, a script that he wrote and sold was released in theaters by the name of True Romance, Yeah, directed by Tony Scott. Have you ever seen True Romance? No, but I know about it. Yeah. Do you ever see True Romance, Joe? No, but I'm looking at it right now. True Romance might have been... I might have seen that before I saw... Pulp Fiction. My dad loved True Romance. True Romance is closer, not story-wise, but like structure-wise to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. You go all the way throughout this. You learn so much about the characters. You get some like good scenes that are dialogue or character building scenes. And at the end is when all the shit happens. And it's like insane. So True Romance came out in 1992 in theaters. Again, he only wrote that one, did the story for it, and then sold it. And then um, in 1994, same year that Pulp Fiction came out, Natural Born Killers was released, which was another story that Tarantino had wrote and sold. Uh, This time he sold that story to Oliver Stone's company, who, great director Oliver Stone, ended up directing that movie and made some success. I mean, it had Woody Harrelson in it, who was a big name at the time. I don't know exactly what the box office numbers were for that, but it's a movie that I think a lot of people truly like even if it wasn't a critical success success it was probably like a cult hit at that time 1992 to 1994 tarantino's hype was growing fast yeah uh, but it was more in the lines of writing or story creating. guy yeah was bo- like... both of these movies were considered indie films yeah. and released on the indie film circuit before they reached audiences to start off like i said I, I did some research for this i watched an interview on the charlie rose show um, which I had never even knew was a thing, but Charlie wrote, I guess, an old talk interview show. Um, and I watched an interview with Quentin Tarantino right after Pulp Fiction came out. And uh, it was really interesting to hear him talk. I recommend everybody to go find this. It's about a 30 minute interview on Charlie Rose. Uh, he's super smart, like insanely smart. And he sounds like an addict when he talks about this stuff about film, he knows so much stuff that he can just recite right off the top of his head, pretty much the same way you did Batman (laughs) last week, just insane knowledge, but he's pulling 
directors, uh, writers. He's pulling like cinematographers, like full names off of movies from 1932 Mm -hmm. and tying it to movies in, you know, 1960s or 70s. And he's doing it like he's reading it off a piece of paper. It was one of the most insane things I've ever seen. And he's also weirdly funny. So all the stuff that you get in the movies is like straight Tarantino, which is awesome. I I didn't think he was that funny. I always thought he was kind of weird. But this is the first time I actually sat there and watched him talk and like give back and forth with a person. Um, and it was really cool. So all the things that you really appreciate appreciate about his movies. Uh, again, calls himself a film geek, not a film nerd, because he says film nerds have a lot of knowledge about movies, but have bad taste in movies. Film geeks have better taste. So he is a film geek. He also said because he can beat up film nerds. He won't call himself a film nerd. <laughs> He speaks of seeing movies on opening day as like a religious experience. Um, He talks about going to see a movie three times when it comes out in theaters, like a really good movie from a director that he really likes. The first time he has to go by himself at a time where the audience won't be, you know, very distracting for him. The second time he can, he goes and he tries to go with an audience to then pick up more things of the movie, but then see sort of how the audience reacts and see if the director actually got what they were trying to do right there. And then the third time he says he doesn't have to see it with somebody, but he's fine now to see it with somebody to hear a person sort of direct feedback on it. So he talks about seeing these movies all the time. Um, and I think it was on the Charlie Rose interview. Uh, it may have been somebody else who, who asked about it, but somebody asked that when he creates movies, when he writes a story, does he have an audience in mind? And I love this answer. He's said i do make films for a specific audience me i'm the audience i still pay to go see movies on opening night if i'm excited about them i know what i want to see and i had bet that there were more people like me out there in the world i was surprised at how many there were amen preach there there's a shit ton of them yeah (laughs) there's a shit ton of them and the the awards show So after his directorial debut success, Tarantino decided to come back to an idea that he and his writing partner, Roger Avery, had. Before Reservoir Dogs was worked on and released, him and Roger Avery had an idea to do a short film. So that's what they wanted to do first, because again, it would be his directorial debut. The thought that they had in mind was that a short film was sort of easier to digest from somebody new. I think because they knew what their writing looked like, they thought, all right, shorter is better or less is more. Um, but then as they started to do this, they realized that nobody really provides funding and, and backs you financially if you're doing a short film. Short films at the time tend to be projects that were sort of um, self-funded, like passion projects. Yeah. So they realized nobody was funding them. They definitely didn't have the money to do this. So they decided to start writing these uh, to break it up into like a trilogy of movies. They want to do a trilogy and to have a different director for each one. So the first movie of the trilogy would be directed and written by Quentin Tarantino. The second would be Roger Avery. The third would be a director that that was so far down in the future, like it never really materialized. So they started to work on these as a trilogy. The first movie in that trilogy was Reservoir Dogs. The second movie in that trilogy, written by Roger Avery, ended up being the story for one-third of Pulp Fiction, which is the Bruce Willis story. Mm-hmm. called I think it's called The Golden Watch. Yeah. Uh, Roger Avery had titled it Pandemonium Reigns, but they used that story for bruce willis's character and it was the entire story is the whole thing the watch the boxer all of it he also roger avery he also contributed 
the uh, divine intervention scene with Samuel Jackson where the dude busts out of the bathroom yeah. and shoots like 12 times at Samuel Jackson and John Travolta and completely misses him. Yeah. He wrote that part. So they had to add that part here. And then another part that he wrote was something that Tarantino was already like very passionate about. It was the scene where I forget the kid's name, but the, the, the black kid that was there, the informant, I guess, sort of informant who told them that they still had the money. And remember they took this kid in the car with them and then, Travolta accidentally shoots him, whether Samuel Jackson drove over a bump or not. Roger Avery had wrote that part and Quentin Tarantino like took that for sure. And he was like, awesome. He was like inspired to do this thing where there's a professional cleaner and that story would lead to the wolf coming in played by Harvey Keitel. Those two scenes Mm -hmm. that Roger Avery contributed were supposed to be for true romance. After all the writing, after all figuring out this quote-unquote trilogy and the success of Reservoir Dogs in 1993, the script was complete and it was time to find some money and some talent for it. So they went back to Lawrence Bender, who was a producer who helped produce Reservoir Dogs. Tarantino and Lawrence Bender created a Band Apart Productions. I think I've seen that on some of the movies. And then Lawrence Bender helped them get $1 million for the production company, which went to some office space and some initial funding. But fun, little known fact, probably you probably know this fucking fact because you know everything. But fun, little known fact for me was that Lawrence Bender worked with a company called Jersey Films. So Jersey Films at the time was one third owned by last episode's The Penguin himself, Danny DeVito. So if you actually watch Pulp Fiction... You will see in the title credits, Danny DeVito, DeVito, producer. So Jersey Films was the the company that sort of helped them out with this. And they had a first look deal with Columbia TriStar Pictures, who ultimately passed on Pulp Fiction, deeming it too demented. So they they went to Miramax, which had just recently been bought out by Disney. So it was the first movie that they sort of went with with Miramax. And the person who said, I love this script, like, and, and did us all a service by helping this movie go forward was actually a soon to be well-known piece of shit by the name of Harvey Weinstein, right. who was the co-chairman and his brother, Rob Weinstein or Bob Weinstein. So yes, terrible people. They did something good. They, they helped this movie go forward. So Pulp Fiction was greenlit and it was given, I believe, $11 million budget, uh, which was more than what Bender and Tarantino had in mind, which was about like $8.5 million is what they were thinking. I think the reason that it bumped up to eleven is because they wanted this big star-studded cast. But it was interesting to think of what this movie could have been with the cast. So I'm going to go through the casting here. Many of the characters in Pulp Fiction were written for specific actors in mind. Um, <laughs> it's because I know this. That's why I'm like, man. I- Tarantino said uh, that he saw this movie in three stories, so he had to have three leads. So the first lead, of course, is John Travolta in the storyline of the big man's wife. So, you know, taking out Uma Thurman, all that stuff, the heroin scene, that was the first lead of one storyline. The second was Bruce Willis Mm -hmm. of the Gold Watch. So boxing, all that stuff that took place with Marcellus Wallace. And then the third one, which is sort of interesting to think, because the third part of this movie really has two actors, John Travolta and Samuel Jackson. But he said he saw the lead in that third story as Samuel Jackson, because if you watch him throughout, he starts off as this big time hitman who recites a Bible verse before he kills people. And then at the end of the movie, you see like this whole shift all coming from this divine intervention moment. So he saw these three leads that he had to cast. The role of Vincent Vega 
was written originally for Michael Madsen, who was Mr. Blonde in Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, Mr. Blonde in Reservoir And he was also one of the people in Kill Bill. And he's yeah. the main guy trying to kill her. Along with all the other yeah. people that eventually went out to kill her. He's the dad in Free Willy. He's what? The dad in Free Willy. He's the dad in Free Willy? Well, he did end up playing a Vega. Reservoir Dogs, he was Vic Vega. Yeah, so... Uh, they they wanted they wanted to do at the time. I think this is something that they've passed on already because both brothers are very old um, and now dead. Spoiler alert! But they wanted to do a Vega brother movie yeah. with Travolta and Michael that, Madsen, which would have been really cool. Yeah. So the role of Vincent Vega was written originally for Michael Madsen, but he had to pass on it because he was filming a movie. He was filming Wyatt Earp. Do you remember yeah. that movie? That's um, Kevin what's his Costner. name? Kevin Costner. Yeah. So he was filming at that time. Uh, there was a push by Miramax that they wanted Daniel Day Lewis in yep. that role, uh, which Tarantino passed eventually on. passed up on that. And Gary um, Oldman. And Gary Oldman. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Can Gary Oldman. Yeah. At one point, they wanted to have Tim Roth and Gary Oldman and just make Jules and Vincent Vega yeah. British guys. Uh, but Tarantino eventually won over Travolta, who Tarantino has said many, many times is one of his favorite actors at, of all time. And what what he thinks, Tarantino thinks, was the biggest star that Hollywood had ever created at the time, John Travolta. Yeah. So he convinced him to take a reduced rate for a star of his caliber, even though his caliber wasn't necessarily the biggest in Hollywood, not even the biggest in this movie. But uh, he convinced him to take sort of a reduced role to fit that $11 million budget. But this is one of the reasons that they were able to use all that $11 million and get there uh, for that big star studied cast. It ended up paying off. John Travolta, that people say that John Travolta's career was revitalized yeah, and sort of expanded. This was the first time too that I saw him as like a, like a badass. I mean, yeah. he was just a fucking chasing the girl. He's dancing. Whatever, yeah, he was right? in a lot of dancing movies and that's, it's funny at, at one point, Everybody always asked uh, Quentin Tarantino, did yeah. you cast Travolta because of because the dancing, of the dancing. At Jackrabbits? Um, and he was like, no, it was originally written for Michael Madsen. But yeah. when we got Travolta, I mean, that <laughs> you got to do it now. Yeah. <laughs> um, Travolta, the, he, he had said that he thought people in Hollywood, even though he was one of the biggest stars of Hollywood, people still hadn't used him correctly. Like imagine that uh, an yeah. indie circuit director writer saying like, yeah, y'all did good with Travolta, but you still haven't used him the right way. I thought and it was And then great. just did this. I thought he fucking hit the oh, nail yeah. right on the head. Absolutely. Samuel Jackson beat out Paul Calderon for the role of Jules. So Samuel Jackson auditioned for this. Basically got it. Was a shoo-in. Um, he had already been passed up once for Reservoir Dogs. He was supposed to be one yeah. of the people. And then Paul Calderon, who eventually had a part in the movie, came like to interview. He's the bartender. He's the guy who lets them in the door, the yeah. bartender. Which is funny. He's credited as Paul. Not because it's his name, Paul Calderon, but he had a different name in the script. But he says that like stupid old person joke where they were asking some sort of question. And he's like, hey, my name's Paul. And that's between y'all. Yeah. Right. So they credited him as Paul. But Paul, after Samuel Jackson's interview or not interview reading, yeah. then Paul Calderon did it and like crushed it. People yeah. were saying that it was like one of the best interview. Er, Audition. Audition. There it is. Oh. Holy shit. <laughs> I didn't write that word of the fucking million words that are on here. So one of the best auditions they'd ever seen. And Samuel Jackson had heard this through the grapevine, yeah, got on out. a plane, flew back out. And then the scene that he won it with was the diner scene yeah. at the very end of the movie. Another actor decided to take a chance on a low pay but big payoff. And that was Bruce Willis. He accepted um, one of the best roles, quote unquote, 
one of the best roles that he had ever read for at the time and became the film's Butch Coolidge. Uh, Tarantino claims that he sees Bruce's look as one of a kind. That's one of the reasons why Tarantino wanted him, because he says Bruce Willis is a modern day, so in the 90s, modern day actor with a very 50s look, so that he wanted somebody that looked like that, looked like a bully, right? Yeah. Had the 50s look to him. It was originally supposed to be like a young and up-and-coming boxer. Um, was it? Yeah, yeah and so. he said he gave this guy the role because... Not that he felt bad, but like he knew that he was upset because he didn't get the other role. Samuel Jackson? No. Bruce oh, he's Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis didn't also, get what? I think he, read Bruce the Willis lines read for, for Vinnie Vega. yeah Vincent Vega, yeah. And didn't get it, and then hmm. he wanted him still in it, so he rewrote that boxer thing yeah. so that to it be would, somebody later be on some, in his yeah. career. Interesting. He, I mean, Bruce Willis was kind of young at the time, and they he was all written kind as of like young uh, at the time. Well, I was four, so. <laughs> Yes. Sure. I'm saying, if you look at Tarantino in that movie. Although names like Holly Hunter, Alfred Woodard, and Meg Ryan were favored, Tarantino knew that the role of Mia Wallace needed to be Uma Thurman after their very mm-hmm. first meeting. So, a you lot missed, of big names. You missed a well, name. Who was it? It is one, sir. Michelle Pfeiffer. Was it Michelle Pfeiffer? Oh, it was. No. Yeah. Not the Pfeiffers. Oh, it was. Holy moly. What was <laughs> that bitch doing at the time? No one cares. Probably being Catwoman. Probably being Catwoman. Yeah. It's a good choice. <laughs> Uma Thurman turned down the role and he called her and read her the whole like first part of the script just to get her to say yes. And then clearly when he wouldn't hang up or stop reading, she said yes. No, I think he sold her on it. I mean, <laughs> sure she eventually, did, but... she, so it, it was after this for like three years, she didn't take any other major roles. She just stopped acting for a little bit. I forgot what it was for. But then what she came back for was like Kill Bill 1 yeah. and 2, yeah. which... I know that there was some issues um, in filming of, was it Kill Bill Volume 2? There was some car crash scene where she got a little bit mangled up and then Tarantino sort of forced her back into doing some stuff right away, which sort of created a rift between them. But she was a, she was a Tarantino actress for, yeah. for a while. Speaking of Tarantino actors, Tarantino returners, Harvey Keitel as the wolf and Tim Roth as, again, I love the casting names, Tim Roth as either Pumpkin, which is what um, his wife calls him, also known as Ringo. So Pumpkin slash Ringo, because Samuel Jackson calls him Ringo. Um, Both had their roles written... For them. <laughs> yeah, they had those roles written with them in mind. Though, again, like I said, I'm going to have to take us uh, down in the shitter for a second. When they were first pursuing funding, the studio wanted Johnny fucking Depp. Yeah. Or Christian Slater. No. No? No Slater either? Well, that's because no. he was in the other movie. What other movie? Uh, True Romance. Okay. Yeah, and he brings good. back a lot of people. Ving Rhames, Amanda Plummer, Steve Buscemi, Eric Stoltz, Maria De. Medeiros and Christopher Walken rounded out the rest. Pam Greer and Ellen DeGeneres read for the role of Jody, who is Lance's wife in the movie, but it eventually went to Rosanna Arquette and Lance in the movie, um, who was, I believe that's Eric Stoltz. Quentin Tarantino was deciding between two roles that he would take in this movie. It was either Lance, who was the drug dealer, or the guy that he ends up playing, Jimmy, who's Jules's friend. And what the deciding factor was, was he wanted to be behind the camera for the heroin scene. Yeah. He wanted to make sure that that thing was flawless because he knew that that was going to be a very big moment uh, in this movie. Yeah, they shot it? Yeah, in reverse, oh, which yeah. is even scarier, actually, for me. 
the cast came together. Um, filming only took a little over two months. So it started on September 20th of 93, ended on November 30th of 93. Um, after actors' salaries, including Tarantino's self-given role of Jimmy, the film had $8 million left, and Tarantino said he wanted the film to look like it was made for 20 to 25 or $30 million. So he had high expectations. So what he did was he stuck with what was working for him, which was one other movie, and he brought back the entire crew from Reservoir Dogs. So he brought back the cinematographer, the costume designer, the production designer, and the film editor to help go ahead and make this movie. Um, but before we figure out how well this did in theaters, it's time for question number two in this trilogy. What is your favorite moment from the movie Pulp Fiction? Joe, what is the favorite moment that you read oh, on here because you couldn't watch the movie? Because you're not Whatever. dedicated to this um, podcast. I'll let you go because I already have mine. Then you go because you waited the first time and then you cut me off three times when I said mine. So go ahead. Favorite moment. Um, it's obviously very early on, but it has to be when they go and they, um, I forget his character name. His real name is Frank Whaley, the actor. Yeah. Um, that's the, that's the guy that they're asking, like, uh, you know, the guy that clearly owes money to Marshallis Wallace. Oh yeah. Yeah. That whole scene. Yeah. That whole, the way Samuel Jackson is just like, that's how you interrogate a guy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) That's fantastic. Like, I'm thinking to myself, like, if I'm Vinny Vega and I'm watching all this develop, how are you not laughing? How are you not just dying? <laughs> he's he's, he's not probably on fucking heroin. fucking with this yeah. guy. I'm going to come back to that scene later in my third question uh, because I feel like there's there's some good stuff there. Joe? Do you have a favorite scene? I don't know. I do have a favorite scene. Even though, Well, all these scenes are, are real favorites. But when I was thinking about this before I watched the movie and started doing this, I just always remember the Christopher Walken scene and and the one line where he's, he's when he mentions that the watch was in his dad's ass was such like a just toss away yeah. line of like, and so you had the watch in his ass and he died of dysentery. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great walk. About and then, and then immediately after. And so I put As the watch in my so... ass. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, about that scene, if you remember that scene and I actually watched it again, Wait, we've seen the, the, the yeah the gold watch okay. Christopher Walken scene he pauses and it's such like a weird pause and it's actually that Christopher Walken had forgotten his line and after like 10 seconds had gone by he remembers it and just keeps going and Tarantino's like it's a great pause we're, we're going with it <laughs> Joe favorite scene I don't know about favorite scenes I'm gonna have to go with the scene I remembered the most was sure that one where they're interrogating the weirdest, I would say scariest, but that's probably the wrong word. Most disturbing scene was when they were dancing. That's because, disturbing? Yeah, There's because... No. Yo, and there was a gimp. What's that movie called? <laughs> yes, there was. There was a gimp. I don't know what you're talking about, but sure. Remember the guy in the leather suit like yeah. from your movie oh, show, yeah. American Horror Story? Okay, but see, Connected now when I think of guys in those little things, I think of... The pretty boy was Evan Peters. No. Oh, the other guy. Oh my god. There's a pretty boy See, in you guys leather. Get me so off topic. The I can't American Horror Story guy. The gay guy. Stop talking. Channing Tatum. Yes. There thank you. <laughs> This is the end. That's yes. fucking funny. That's every yeah. time I see an outfit like that, I instantly think of him yeah. just <laughs> and I can never look at it the same way. That yeah. was the most disturbing thing. We um, okay. Sure. 
You did. Let me have my moment. Jesus uh. Christ. It was disturbing for me because John Travolta, we know, can dance. And that's what I mean about he doesn't laugh in that movie or smile. His face the whole time was like, I don't want to dance. She's like, you're going to dance because you were he told to take out your wife or some shit. Yeah, but he knew how to dance. Right. He didn't know how to dance. But again, right after. his face was so serious the whole time. And it was just him moving. And then she had that serious face, too. And they were just moving. And it was just weird. It was great. But it was weird. And he that didn't scene. didn't want to be there. I get it, and it, he played it well, but it was just a very awkward but great scene, and it was the most expensive scene in the whole movie. You, well, setting Why? up the production of the set, yeah. Jack Rabbit Slims was, they yeah. created it from from scratch, I yeah. guess, on set. So um, it was just a very interesting you thing were, that sticks out. You twist. were probably three glasses of wine away from coming to our wedding where Lizzie and I did this as our first dance. Oh, no. Yeah, she loves she loves Pulp Fiction, and yes. and we had talked about doing this as our first dance for a little bit. Yeah, love it. Yeah, almost three more glasses of wine and oh, yeah, yeah. some convincing. <laughs> I would have had it. You would have been there, experiencing something Actually, that is worse than a oh, rape. No, I saw your first dance. I was gonna say I missed <laughs> that. <laughs> Pulp Fiction premiered at the Cannes Film Festival in May of 1994 and won the festival's top award the palme d'or or the palm d'or so the film opened to general audiences on october 14th 1994 and in its first weekend it took the top spot beating out a sylvester stallone film that was in its second week Um, after a production budget of eight million dollars and a marketing budget of $10 million, the film would end up grossing $108 million in the U.S. and $213 million worldwide. Though this was only the 10th highest grossing movie of 1994, it was the very first indie movie to ever gross more than $100 million. So breaking records, solidifying itself in the cement that is cinema. I I thought that was going to sound cooler. Critically, it saw much of the same success that it did commercially. So today, um, it sits at 92% on Rotten Tomatoes, 94% on Metacritic, and it has a B-plus score on CinemaScore. Roger Ebert, uh, Time Magazine, Entertainment Weekly, and Rolling Stone all gave it high praises, um, as many others went back to the gripes that they had with Reservoir Dogs, stating that it fetishized violence, and some said that um, Quentin Tarantino was trying too hard to make audiences uncomfortable with scenes such as the gimp or with the heroin overdose scene. So some people saw it as... A, a director trying too hard um and some just thought that between those two movies and the violence and how the violence is shown you know he was just promoting violence in his movies but the good outweighed the bad when it received seven oscar nominations in 1995 for best picture director actor supporting actor supporting actress original screenplay and film editing so seven nominations although it only took home best original screenplay um you got one guess david which i'm sure you already fucking know this information what film did it lose best picture for in 1994 94 this one was considered a drama but was actually more of a comedy at least for me watching it they actually lost three of those other nominations to this movie as well ace ventura that's yeah, pretty good. Cool. Um, what what movie did it lose to? You got one shot, one opportunity to capture something or let it fall down. 
That movie didn't come out at that time. No, it's a trick didn't. question. <laughs> what do you got? I don't know. Ninety four. What the fuck? Who knows? I'm what's not a, David. What's a movie that would win an award that was sort of funny in ninety four? The Mask. <laughs> no. <laughs> There's a lot of Jim Carrey fans in this fucking audience, right? Here. Uh, it lost Best Picture for a Drama to Force Gump that year. I hate that movie because you use that voice for so many years of my life that I never wanted to watch that I movie. I never named the boat before. Never named. I love you, Jenna. <laughs> That's that pretty voice. good. I you know, know right? and he does that voice <laughs> in my name, and it's freaky. I out. was running. <laughs> I love that one. <laughs> uh, yeah, all right, so Forrest Gump was a good, pretty good movie. Lieutenant <laughs> uh, Dan. Lieutenant Dan. Got no lights. Ice cream, Lieutenant. That, that Lizzie says that one all the time. Every time we get ice cream, it's, it's very inappropriate in public. <laughs> Even with the award losses, the film had incredible influence on life. Politicians used it as ammo to attack Hollywood. Critics and film fanatics routinely have it on their top movies of all time. And many people say that it resurrected the careers of many actors and actresses. Um, and what's interesting is they have sort of proof qualitative proof i guess in 2001 variety wrote an article where it cited that many actors uh, are now jumping back and forth from big budget films to lower budget indie films and these actors actually cite bruce willis's bold decision of doing pulp fiction and taking a reduced pay as the reason why because it paid off tremendously for him Um, he was on the downslope at that time of movies him and travolta we're yeah. both sort of on the downslope. And sort of for the same reason. I think they weren't they both in Look Who's Talking? Yes. <laughs> one of them was Why the voice and one of them was something we else. That movie That's a fantastic. Million times. Yeah. Yeah. There's like seven of those movies. Yeah, I know. Well, he, it's like a land before time. <laughs> Bruce Willis was the voice of the baby. Bruce and Willis was the Travolta's voice. the actual dad. Yeah. Yeah. That's so fantastic. Pulp he thinks fiction. he's Elvis. <laughs> Pulp fiction saved them. <clears throat> That's it for the report on the hit movie from 1994 and the second of Quentin Tarantino's writing and directorial projects, Pulp Fiction. So with that, like I said, I had a trilogy of questions. I I got one more question for you. Do you know what it is, Joe? I I do. I don't. Okay. Is what language do they speak in? (laughs) (laughs) What ain't no country I've heard of. (laughs) Do they speak English in what? Oh Joe? Oh my god. What? Answer. <laughs> Say what again? Say what? <laughs> I dare you. I double dare you, motherfucker. Was that the first? No, that wasn't the first of his like motherfucker roles where all the memes and shit now come from Samuel Jackson. Probably. It was it one, was of, the one bigger, of those. Yeah. One of the bigger <laughs> ones. Yeah. Tired of all these motherfucking snakes? No, I was I'm way before that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was oh, yeah, really uh, yeah, no, but that like again. So that's why that's got to be one of my like the way he fucks with him because it's yeah. like I oh. wish I could have been there on set to see because like they had to have broken and it's just like started laughing like all right, all right, all right, I need a second because yeah. that's just too good. But like, so the actual question. <laughs> this is my favorite question or topic of debate from this movie. <clears throat> what was inside the, the six six? Six briefcase. Okay. God damn. I was actually good thinking that. I didn't think that was going to be your last question. So, that makes what was sense. inside of it? I don't well, know. Well, you but didn't we watch the movie, the so then. I don't but know. But it was you, shiny. Did you read any of the stuff on there? Some on the briefcase? No. Yeah. 
Did you read what some of the options were? So I'll I'll give you the three main fan theories. Three main fan theories. Okay. Well, it was shiny. So, like, you know how he opens it and it's like, oh. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I don't think the noise can. Um, It make sound effects. So the three options. Because it was shiny. It was like a gold light. Some people Uh said it was gold. I don't think it was gold, but. It was because it's a Quentin Tarantino film, mm-hmm. and at the end of Reservoir Dogs, people mm-hmm. got away with the diamonds. Yeah. They thought it could be the diamonds from the Reservoir Dogs movie, mm-hmm. and that that team was doing a job for this person, for that Marcellus Wallace. And the third one, it was Marcellus Wallace's soul. <laughs> now, uh, I, wanted, oh. I wanted to bake this... <laughs> <laughs> That's where that, that was, was the uh, moment. Yeah. More for it's the soul, soul than the gold. My golden soul. Gold is gold, right? It is what it is, it, and sure. probably because of the light in it. I don't. Think and because I, I'm sure if you saw like a bunch of gold bricks, I guess now it's more common to see gold bricks or something in heist movies. The diamonds is interesting. Right? I like the diamonds. You like the diamond theory? Yeah. Why? I like. I the love diamond. the connected universe thing. Yeah. I mean, he's already shown you that they are. There's no yeah. doubt about that. So it's just like, why not give us more? I think it's it's cool and because it, makes sense. it does. Yeah, it does make sense, and, and more of like a real world yeah, situation. Like this whole thing is. Art. <laughs> I, I like the that gold, one. I'm like just random like gold. One. Like, uh, yeah, uh. it's not as great. Um, I mean, Quentin Tarantino has said they didn't have any thoughts around it at, at first before they started shooting it. He was like, it would be cool to make it the diamonds. And sort of connected in that way, because he knew he was connecting other characters. From right, movies. you had to. Christopher Walken and his monologue connects. Yeah, a person he served he's, with to a movie in nineteen thirty something. Yeah, called the Air Force. Yeah, so so he knows he's <laughs> connecting these movies and stuff. So he thought of that. I think it's interesting as well. I don't know how all the stuff would line up, but you know, Mister Blonde, Vic Vega, dies in this movie on this job, or dies in Reservoir Dogs on the job. And then Vincent Vega, at the beginning of this movie, he's at three years in, in Europe and comes back. So I feel like that sort of fits up as well, mm. even though I, I don't know how much time would happen between the job and them getting the diamonds from these you know, college kids, however the hell they got it from them. But it would make sense that like two brothers, the Vega brothers, this one comes back from Europe after he hears his brother dies on this job, and he's one of the hitmen going to recover the package yeah. from this team. Yeah. So that, that lines up for me. I like that. You're going with them, Joe? I mean... Aliens? I like that, and it makes the most sense, but yeah, I still think that... You still think it's aliens? And the soul. (laughs) You think it's the soul? No, I don't think it's that. I like the other theory much better, and that makes the most sense. And they're all smart. All right, Um, let me me break this down for you. I don't think it's soul. I was thinking... Let me break down the soul. Something like like mythical, but not mythical. Like, I was trying to think of a way he would put something weird in it, like aliens, but not aliens. Um, Why would he put aliens? It's not aliens, like... Like the crystal skull or something. Get the fuck out of here with the crystal <laughs> skull. Do you, don't you watch South Park? Yeah. But... They raped Indiana Jones, okay? Off topic. Um, right, that's the other podcast. Three years down the road when we all quit our jobs because we're making 80000 a year Different from this. Different podcast? Yeah. No. Uh, so let me, let me explain why I like the idea of the soul. I think a lot connects and makes sense in it. So, because of Jesus and his holy Ezekiel thing, Jesus Christ, Joe. and the divine intervention, speaking it all of makes Jesus, <laughs> no, they they say it's his soul for a few reasons, right? You don't really get to see what's inside of it. It's this thing that nobody ever talks about. Why wouldn't you say it's gold or diamonds if it was actually gold or diamonds? At the beginning of the movie, so Ving Rhames, 
it was bald. I think always is bald, but is sort of like a shaved head bald rather than a balding mm-hmm. person. As he's shaving on set before filming is starting, he cuts his head, right? So when you first see Marcellus Wallace, the boss who's sitting in the club, you see the back of his head only, and he has a Band-Aid right there. And the reason for it, the real reason, is because he cut his head, shaving his head. Um, but he had to wear a Band-Aid for it. He didn't want sort of like the open wound there. So he had the Band-Aid. And a lot of people said that, you know, they're going after the briefcase that has Marcellus Wallace's soul in it. In, I guess, satanic, not rituals, but like satanic literature, mm-hmm. the soul escapes through the back of one's head. Mm-hmm. Right? So there's like a cut in the back of one's head that the soul escapes from. So that connects. Uh-huh. <laughs> so that, that part connects right there. They're looking for Marcellus Wallace's soul. Throughout this movie, you hear about this story that Marcellus Wallace threw this man off of a balcony because he touched his wife's feet. He gave his wife a foot massage. And everybody sort of thinks that, yeah, that's a little bit of an overreaction from it. So I feel like, again, Marcellus Wallace doesn't have a soul, right? And you see that in the way that he threw that person over the edge. His soul is in this briefcase. Now, another person loses their soul, in my theory, in this movie, right? So as they are finding the soul, Jules and Vincent Vega, you see the gunshots, right? The gunshot in the car where they killed the kid, blood everywhere. Gunshots from other places, blood everywhere. In one scene where they shoot, he recites the Ezekiel line, and they shoot the guy, you don't really see real gunshots, you don't see blood, but you see the same sort of goldish tint. So many people sort of like pass it off as like, this is their idea of like muzzle bangs. They didn't really want to do like real muzzle flashes or anything, but the same gold tint that comes out of the briefcase sort of comes out when they shoot this here. So I think that... Jules loses his soul in this moment, right? Because he's this badass like hitman. So he loses his soul in this moment. Later on down in the movie, this divine intervention thing happens. And as he's changing, the rest of the movie plays out. The next time you see the gold light is them opening up the briefcase in the diner, Mm -hmm. right? And at the end of the movie, Mm -hmm. Samuel Jackson, this hitman who has this person like dead to rights with a gun on him Mm -hmm. and with, um, Vincent Vega having the gun on Honey Bunny, he chooses not to kill this person right here. So the briefcase opened up and a little bit of the soul came back. So now the box is a soul catcher. So now the box (laughs) has a soul. And so the last scene of the movie, chronologically speaking, is the stuff that happens with Bruce Willis, right? It's just him pulling away on the motorcycle. Pulling away on the motorcycle, but that means all the rest of that stuff happens. The scene with the gimp, the scene with the rape and all that, that's after... Vega and Jules give the briefcase back to Marcellus Wallace. So Marcellus Wallace has his soul back and Marcellus Wallace, who has a shotgun in his hand at the end of it, decides to let Butch Coolidge go and not kill him after Butch Coolidge owes him money. So you have the idea that getting ass raped. Right. But he's also a fucking badass gangster who throws people (laughs) off of balconies and shit. And also he still owes him money. Right, which wouldn't you just be like very upset regardless for that? Yeah, I would have killed everyone. I would have killed everyone, right? Like, no. but he Bruce got Willis, his soul like, back. Thank you, but right, you're a liability. Right, you, know, you could tell people you owe me money. You put me in this situation. I wouldn't have been here if it wasn't for me chasing you around. But he lets him go because Jules and Vincent Vega already gave him the briefcase back, so he got his soul back. It all lines up to me. It all lines up. Stretch. Uh, I still like the diamonds. <laughs> Good. You you go with the diamonds thing. I need a more definitive. Uh, well, anyway, when I was thinking of again later. what and Kill Bill. 
Is it Kill Bill? Where he's the piano guy? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I guess you can do that. It does also make sense that he is now on this divine intervention path, plays music at a church. Oh, we didn't have story time either. You had question time. That's true. Do you want to do some story time? Let's do a little bit of story time. (laughs) Let's do a little last five minutes of story time. Fondest memories. Fiction? Pulp Fiction, what do you got? I don't have any memory. I mean, All right, we'll again, I remember. Like, I got a pretty good memory of something like this. I remember seeing it. I remember, th- like, oh no, like, this is not, I'm not ready for this. And then I remember mm-hmm. going back and, like, it's a pretty fucking good movie. Like, maybe this is what made you what you are the demented no. No, I know. piece I know of that shit is. that joins us every episode. Uh, that was, uh. <laughs> I knew I was going to get one of these. That was struggling through the 90s uh, porn and just, you know, 30 to 45 second clips instead of like the 30 minute videos that you get today. So. True. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, we were all a little bit fucked up on that back then. <laughs> we're like magazine porn. <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah. Still images? Come on. Right. Come on, guy. Joe, what's your memory? What are you going to next? Like, imagine shit? Come on. Oh, Give <laughs> us a break and a wank. What do you got? <laughs> um. Wow. Uh, I was going to say, I'm sure I had seen this movie before this, but the funniest or most whatever memory I have with Pulp Fiction is when I was the short-time owner of a PSP that <laughs> wasn't really mine, that got passed around a little bit, my dad bought the movie Pulp Fiction to play on the PSP, and I was like, dude, that's not even mine, <laughs> and then PSP just got contribute or the, what do you call it, the little disc. For the PSP, that was Pulp Fiction, just got donated into that bag, and whoever got the PSP next had Pulp Fiction, too. <laughs> Why the hell did he get PSP Pulp Fiction? Because I had the PSP, and he's like, oh, look, you could watch these movies on here. Wow. Here's Pulp Fiction. <laughs> I remember when he was so torn between Blu-ray and, uh, no, not Blu-ray, HD, and, DVD, uh, and um, what was the other one Blu-ray. called? It was Blu-ray. No, those didn't come out at the same time. I think there was another name for it. Yeah, the red one. It was like HD, which was like black or or like a dark gray. And then there was like a maroon color box that was something else. And he started buying movies for both of them. And then the other one just fucking shot right off the the cliff. And there was no more. And we had Swordfish for that one. (laughs) And then we couldn't watch Swordfish. Bad call, Rudy. <laughs> you dick. Um so here's my memory, and it's not even of watching this movie. Um we would go to we would go to Clemson uh every year for like a, a summer vacation. Uh and we'd always go to like the lake house. Not always, but we would go to the lake house up there when they had it. Uh <laughs> and the lake house, which was owned by Uncle Crud, right? Super Mm-hmm. super like uh, be be at the lake while you're at the lake. So he only had like two movies ever <laughs> at this place. Uh, one of them was like the funny military movie with Bill Murray. Stripes? Is it called yeah. Stripes? He had Stripes and then he had like um, that weird sort of racist like Western movie parody with all those people who did like the parody movies back then. Blazing Saddles? No. Yeah. Was that was that the parody one? I don't know, but yeah, it sounds right with um, this guy Willy Wonka, Gene Wilder, and um, yeah, potentially. Yeah. 
And then, and then he had like tin cup or some shit like that. <laughs> um, and Rudy fucking hated that. <laughs> and so they, they would have conversation or they'd have arguments, I'd say, and, um, talk about like, why this, this is why my dad would say stuff like this is, this is why like, uh, you got to go out and you got to experience things. All you got is fucking tin cup and blazing saddles here. <laughs> and my dad would always argue that like, you don't watch it and see good things happening like Pulp Fiction and this and that. So the argument at the lake house almost every year was Pulp Fiction or Stripes, I guess. Jeez. Jeez. Yeah. I don't remember any of that. Too. This was probably before I even watched Pulp Fiction. So I didn't really know. It's good to think back on though. Well, that is, uh, that's it for Pulp Fiction. I think I said that once before already. So yeah. Joe, <laughs> take us into some trivia, please. Wait, do I need to say, yeah, to I always say feel like trivia. I need to say it's a thing. Say what's a thing? What ain't no thing I ever heard of. Um, well, I pulled two Pulp Fiction questions before. I dare you. This. I double dare you, But now you pretty much already said them. Maybe everyone else will see if you were paying attention. It's pop quiz. Let's do it. What scripture does Jules quote before he kills someone in Pulp Fiction? Ezekiel twenty-seven fifteen. Is that right? No. <laughs> Ezekiel twenty-five seventeen. <laughs> twenty-five seventeen. Or something. Okay. Twenty-five. Words, numbers. All right, and then what was Marcellus and Mia's last name in Pulp Fiction? <laughs> Those were the two bitch. I pulled. Bitch. <laughs> nope. It's Wallace, stupid. Yeah, thanks. It's not what bitch. does Marcellus Wallace look like? <sighs> now, speaking also, because I just pulled these cards randomly. Nice. Yeah. Uh, who played Forrest Gump's mother in Forrest Gump? Oh, jeez. Sally Field. Yes. <laughs> Sally Field. Right? Is it Sally Field Sally cookies? Sally oh my Field God. is Martha. Stewart and uh, Batman vs Superman. Still kind of related to what we not were talking overt. about. Not over it. John Travolta earned his second Oscar nomination for the 1994 movie Grease. True or false? No, I'm gonna say false. He had false. more. False. Yeah. How many nominations did he have? Oh fucking. He he had he had to have one for Saturday Night Fever. Yeah. How do we play this game again? Do we just yell things out? Let's do it again. We're doing it a nice way. Oh, okay. okay. You could yell it out. Let's get the buzzer um, way going. Do it. In the TV show The Simpsons, who shot Mr. Burns? Maggie. Yep. Oh. <laughs> oh okay. I remember seeing that episode live. Yeah, it's just oh, Yeah, I said, well, now Sorry. are we ready All to right. get off? <laughs> I was just like, You're, where, where do we talk about that On today? the TV in <laughs> <Didn't>. Pulp Fiction? <laughs> oh, this one we kind of did. In what city was Ace Ventura Pet Detective set? Miami. Miami. Thank you. <laughs> There were nine original Beanie Babies released in 1993, including Patty the Platypus. True mm-hmm. or false? True. Patty was a was a classic. <laughs> uh, true. Hell yeah. We know <laughs> Beanie Babies. Uh, do you know Perry the Platypus? Oh, wait. Perry oh, the Platypus. I, oh, I have one more for today. Nick Carter's mother came up with the name in sync by taking the last letters of each of the members' first true. names. True or false? False. Why? <laughs> <laughs> it's false. But... It wasn't Nick Why was it false? It was... Oh, I don't know. I don't know, because <laughs> that's not what it stood for. No, that is what it is. I don't know their last but name, it, so I can't tell you. false meaning like it wasn't her. It was someone else. Oh, there's no answer Maybe. on that? No, it's just, just true or false. What a shitty trivia box. <laughs> Where did I'm we sorry. get that from? Let's call those bastards back uh, up. Five below. Five below. Our lucky guesser. I guess you weren't lucky. You're Holy pretty shit, smart. Yes. So that's what it is. So the first hint uh, was like a blue and red 
fuzzy screen with yeah. some white on it. Um, it was a zoomed in shot of a piece of the uh, main cover, which I think was the only cover oh, that was done for Pulp Fiction at the time of Uma Thurman laying on the bed with a cigarette and the Pulp Fiction magazine. Yeah. The second was of a needle. We got many, many <laughs> 90s weird and 80s. Guesses. Um, no, not weird guesses. It made sense because it was a lot of like 80s, 90s musicians who I guess were oh, yeah. druggies. And then the last one was, of course, the Royale with cheese and I guess also a Royale with bacon <laughs> over there. That was the one on the other tray. <laughs> Le Big Mac. <laughs> I didn't go into Burger King. <laughs> That's a great line. What do they call a Whopper? I didn't go into Burger King. <laughs> oh, my God. So, anyways, the person that guessed this correctly. Was uh, my <laughs> sister-in-law, a.k.a. Father Era, the person who married my wife and I, Amanda oh. Era. Yeah. Well done, Amanda. Era, 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 A. Good job at guessing. Um, and Amanda, because she won this hint thing that we did, is going to get a dope We the 90s podcast sticker sent Ooh. out to her with a letter written by three people who probably don't have anything important to say. By two people who probably don't have anything important to say, but signed by a third person by the second person. Because <laughs> David doesn't do shit for this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, Pretty much. So yeah, we're, we're sending those out. You'll get them after you hear this. Hopefully. Yay. If you hear this. If you even listen. <laughs> I, don't, she probably I don't know who listens. but Listen to this one. <laughs> we got so many cool listeners. Did I read you the places that we get listens from? Like the different countries? Yeah, really I mean, quickly. you sent them to us. Oh, did I? Yeah, and then you guys all was started ignoring me again. By the way, so thank you. Fuck, why is this logged out? One was Guadalupe. Guadalupe? That's a country? No, it's why so Or a cereal. cleaning service. <laughs> it's the place where they found the biggest great white shark. What? No, no, no. Yep. <laughs> what? Do, do you bring the pine <laughs> Wow. No, no. no, I no, clean. No. I clean, I clean. <laughs> so, we the 90s, thank you all so much for listening. Um, 72 downloads of Batman in the 90s. Yikes. 104 downloads of Marshall Bruce Mathers III, a.k.a. Eminem, which has an asterisk next to it because um, Joe, <laughs> Joe kept playing it multiple times over and over and over again because she loves the sound of her own voice. <laughs> Uh, but I let's really see. Let's know. see the Batman in the '90s where we're getting listens from, mm-hmm. so we can shout out some different places. So, we have uh, 48 total listens in the United States, six total listens from our Canadian brothers and sisters, yeah. uh, four from down under, people oh. in Australia. Thank you for listening. Two from both the the Netherlands and Germany. Wow. And then one from, I forget. I don't know how to say this. It's either Macedonia or Macedonia. I'm going to say Macedonia. Yeah, Macedonia is the nuts. Yeah. Macadamia. Oh, shit. (laughs) We're so sorry if you speak English in Macedonia. (laughs) One listener from all the rest of these places. Mexico, Guatemala, Switzerland, Romania, Chile, Ireland, Colombia, Indonesia, and the United Kingdom. Uh, To break down some of our American listeners, we got probably us in Western Florida. Um, Two in Tampa. Who's that? Megan. Is that Megan? Shout outs to Megan. 
The Dales in Oregon, Rocky River, Ohio, Heber Springs in Arkansas, Denver, Colorado, fuck yeah, Denver, mm-hmm. uh, Geneva, Illinois, San Jose, California, San Jose Sharks, shout out, Loveland, Colorado. Interesting. Interesting. Chicago, Illinois. Is uh, what do you call it? Uh, Anderson, South Carolina. They listen on Apple. One from Anderson, South Carolina. One One from Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, We got some White Bear Lake, Minnesota. Who lives in White Bear Lake? Uh, Maybe Dakota. (laughs) Oh shit! I don't know where Dakota lives. I mean, (laughs) thank you for listening. We don't support what you do, but that's for both the KKK and Minnesota. Oh. Uh, Brooklyn, New York. Post Falls, Iowa. Idaho, <laughs> I, I <don't> Idaho, <laughs> Idaho, Wellington, Florida. Don't know who that is. What, uh, what the fuck is this? Schenectady, New York. Schenectady. Yeah. New York, nice. Okay. New Al, New Albany, Indiana. We got some Miami Gardens, which is probably one of us again. <laughs> Madisonville, Kentucky. Wichita, Kansas. Wichita. Aww. Why do I know Wichita? Because of the movie. Wichita. Zombieland. Oh yeah, yeah, Zombieland. Oh, yeah. Wichita. Shout out Wichita. What's up? Clovis, New Mexico. Boise, Idaho. Boise. Hey. Hannibal, Missouri. Hannibal. Shit, we gotta do a Hannibal episode now. Or uh, Silence of the Lambs, I guess is what it's called. Pine Grove, Pennsylvania. Camden. No, that's not us. <laughs> Jackson, Mississippi. That's the KKK. Hmm. Greenville, South Carolina. There we go. And Binghamton, New York. Binghamton. The Binghamton Mets. Really? I don't know. It used to be. <laughs> Saw Tebow fell in the album. Yeah, he did. Dumbass. Hey, look, sometimes... What a I forget who I told this to. I said, sometimes you got to let go and let God. And sometimes you just got to retire. Oh, my God. And you choose which one Tim Tebow should do here. <laughs> but I think he's been doing one for a while. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> the other one, not as much. So, sorry, oh Tim. <laughs> 14 listens on iHeartRadio. Shout out iHeartRadio. We love you. That's it for the show today. Uh, thank you <laughs> so, so you much for like listening. How? If you're listening to us, you sort of like us, I guess. So catch some more content that we do. Um, follow us on Instagram at we underscore the 90s. Find us on Facebook and like our page, which is at we the 90s podcast. And find us on Twitter, where we only have two followers at right. we underscore 90s. Uh, also, if you do enjoy the show and you want to get a little bit more from the show while also giving back you can become a patron on our patreon page which is patreon.com slash we the 90s um is it just we the 90s i think so come on we the 90s yeah just we the 90s um you can donate anything from as little as one dollar and all the way up to i believe ten dollars or one billion dollars <laughs> you can do that which that is definitely going to be an episode on here at some point uh so go on and become a patron yeah, and babe. suggest that as our very next episode so that <laughs> joe has to do it yes um so you can go on there, you can donate a dollar, um, $3, $5, and I think $10. And, and with that, um, you get some extra benefits. We'll, we'll send you a video, all of us saying hello and thanks for donating. You'll get some stickers. You'll get an opportunity to name a segment, to put a topic into our topic hat, or just suggest the very next topic that we do. So uh, by donating as little as $1, you can uh, help us keep the show going and uh, get a little bit more from the show. You can also email us at we the 90 podcast at gmail.com. 
I think that's right. If it's not, yeah. you're yes. emailing nobody. <laughs> that's it. Now. You'll get um, an error message. Just yeah. try again. That's very 90s of you. Get an error <laughs> message. Um, that is it for the show this week. Thank you so much for listening. And a little surprise, we will be back with our next episode next week. No two-week delay. We're coming back next week, and Joe will be doing a report on a topic that she is about to pick out of the hat right now. What, what's the topic, Joe? Double tap. No, it's not. What the I fuck? I can't is tell them. I'm gonna 90s. put up clues. God damn, it's like two thousand and fourteen. By the way, we'll be putting up clues this coming week then for next week's Are you episode. Be putting up clues? Yeah, or You're I'll send them to you with them? no explanation. Fuck that, you put up the clues. <laughs> All right. Yeah, Joe, do something. The path of the righteous man <laughs> is beset on all sides. That's great. That's it. We'll catch you on March 10th with episode number four by the two times the size of a one-fourth sized regular woman. T like half woman better. makes sense. It does. Took me a while. Say peace. (laughs) Say peace. David say nothing. (laughs) And then I'll say... Foot-loving bastard that guy is. <laughs> Would you massage a guy's feet? Did you did you hear the Brad Pitt speech? <laughs> oh, yeah, fuck you. <laughs> did you hear the Brad Pitt speech? And one of his uh, things for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, he's like, <laughs> it says Quentin Tarantino has removed more shoes from women's feet than TSA. <laughs> <laughs>